Hi, everyone. This is another episode of SBC Leaders Podcast. Thank you for joining. I'm Kelly King, Global Relationship Director for SBC. And today I am honored to be joined by Niels Onkenhout, who's the CEO of the Dutch National Lottery. Now, we all know that the Netherlands, as a newly regulated market, is top of everyone's uh, mind. So I am excited to talk to him about what's happening there and what we can expect going forward. Welcome, Niels. Thank you, Kelly. Happy to be at SBC. Let's kick it off. Let's first start about what's happening in the Dutch market right now. Regulated four months ago. And so I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about what's happening now. Um, is the excitement still there? Has it slowed down? What's happening? There's two sides to that coin. There's excitement uh, still uh, going on. And the other, the other side is the panic uh, amongst politicians and regulators on the sheer level of advertising and how we are leading uh, the, the younger people into the abyss already after three or after four months, um, an advertising ban. Uh, the minister, a new government in the Netherlands, you know, the one after the other minister is called into the parliament to be uh, questions on you know, how this uh, uh, can all um, come about and particularly what influence the minister wants to have on the, both the state holdings who are also active in this market, on which I represent one. I live in the UK, so none of that sounds very um, unfamiliar to me, but um, it's interesting that it's, it's happening in other markets. You said you're not new to the market. Obviously, the Dutch National Lottery is an incumbent. They've been in the market for quite some time. How are you handling new competition? We uh, you know, are a traditional lottery uh, organization, um, oldest lottery in the world, had the Staatsloterij, the state lottery, 295 years old, older than the United States. Since 1955, the Dutch lottery also has a sports betting brand called Toto, always pre-match, and it was a very small brand. And in the last couple of years, we've managed to ignite that brand, and it's become quite significant through a number of reasons, but also in the in view of preparing ourselves for, of course, the opening of the market, regulating the market. When this market opened October 1st, the uh, market was you know, incredibly well detailed from a, uh, from a regulatory point of view. But an enormous amount of rules and regulations drawn from all the experiences of other countries, whether it's the UK or Scandinavia, which is often a role model for Holland. As of October 1st, there were 10 companies who obtained a license to operate. But all the companies and some very large one who were active in the Netherlands before the market was regulated, so illegal, they were forced by the Dutch government to go, you know, turn their screens black. And of course, we saw profit warnings from some of the publicly quoted companies, where you know suddenly they you know had a huge hit in their P and L, uh, and uh, they had to, you know, of course, uh, go public with that. So we had a good sense of, you know, this was really quite hurtful. When these operators went black, uh, their screens went black, 5% of their customers went into, you know, even worse area. So, you know, uh, really illegal uh, yeah. uh, areas. The other 95%, you know, probably ended up with the uh, 10 operators who got a license, of which the Nederlandse Lotterij, the Dutch state lottery is one. You are the incumbent and you've been in the Netherlands, as you said, you're the longest standing um, state lottery. What, what kind of advantages does that offer understanding your customer base or um, understanding the market at large, what they want? And, and you yeah. did say you're the leader in the market as well. So tell me where the advantages are. 
Well, the advantage is, of course, that you are in this market. You are very well plugged into Dutch society. You understand uh, you know, what the emotions are and how the different stakeholders uh, act and what their beliefs are and how you and you can anticipate mm-hmm. on it. The second advantage, although not a real advantage, is we are we have three shareholders, which is the Dutch state, which is the Dutch National Olympic Committee, and a group of eighteen good causes. So we have three shareholders, but the fact that we are, you know, for a majority state-owned, that uh, helps us, of course, to understand much better what happens in the political arena. The third one is because of the, whole, uh, the Netherlands being so late in regulating this market, uh, we could draw upon the experience of other countries, uh, particularly, I meant, just mentioned Scandinavia, but also other countries where things went wrong or things didn't work out very well. So we had ample uh, preparation time. And the fact that we've had, of course, with sports betting, albeit only pre-match, so no live betting, uh, you know, we have well, very well-known brand, uh, which has a very strong brand equity that helped us to a flying start. And then the sheer fact that the illegal operators uh, you know, had to really step out of the market as of October 1st, that was, of course, an advantage that nobody could anticipate. Being native to the Dutch market, does it help you pinpoint and understand when we may need to protect our customers a bit better? I see so many coming into markets without that sort of um, thought process. So wondering what you thought about that. Well, the responsible gaming, that is in the DNA of, of uh, the Dutch National Lottery. As a state-owned company, we are expected uh, to um, be you know, at least a little bit more restrictive um, and, and, and uh, compared to, you know, you know, just an open market where everybody competes. Although if you don't, if you're not successful, if you don't have compelling advertising, compelling propositions, a good sports book, you don't compete, you don't have an influence. So we are balancing <laughs> this between, you know, we are the largest, we are the incumbent, we are a very successful brand. We need to compete head on with you know, increased competition depositing uh, limits, playing limits. This is all very important to us because we have that responsibility and our position in Dutch society. So it is expected from us. We have, for instance, loss restriction, which is not required by law, but when you are between 18 and 23, there's a lot of focus in Holland on protecting what we call young adults. So between 18 and 23, we have even gone a step further. You can you you are not allowed to lose more than four hundred euros a month when you're in that age group. It's just not possible in our company. That's not something other companies do. We expect in the coming couple of months another ten licensees to enter the market, which means that in a country the size of Holland, well, which is about the size of New Jersey, I always say, it will have about <laughs> twenty or something um, uh, 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 companies that will offer um, you know online gaming. So uh, interesting. But a sizable market and uh, probably good um, winnings to take for all companies. It must be a a really interesting and prestigious position to be an incumbent, to be the CEO of the incumbent in a market that is probably Europe's most exciting at the moment. Everyone's looking at the Dutch market to see what's going to happen right during a Winter Olympics, but also right before we get two World Cups coming up right as well. So um, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about um, your personal take, how you got to be CEO, um, sort of your path, and then a little bit about where you're going. So tell us first about how, how you got to be CEO. What was the path that you took? 
One nuance, of course, important. The exciting part is, uh, you know, do not look at my paycheck. That is uh, less exciting. <laughs> the state owned. So there's a, there's, that's a bit restrictive as well in the Netherlands. But no, in jest, uh, this is a great job. One of the best jobs I've had uh, ever. Um, particularly because of it, with the fact that I mentioned the Dutch Olympic Committee, where we are shareholder, our shareholder, that means we are a huge sponsor for them. So actually, as the Dutch are skating towards a lot of uh, uh, gold medals uh, in uh, Beijing today, uh, you know, that is also part of our doing because of the, the funds we provide to the Dutch Olympic Committee. So it's an exciting job. Um, I am, my background is it's a bit funny because I'm a lawyer actually by training. I've never practiced any law. I, uh, after law school, I immediately uh, entered the fascinating world of soap and diapers and shampoos at Procter & Gamble, where I spent a long time at P&G, uh, also abroad. And then uh, I did a spell at Royal Phillips Electronics, was in the board of a Dutch uh, food company and later on in the board of uh, the second largest Dutch uh, uh, food retailer called Jumbo. I was CEO of two uh, food retail chains. So always consumers, stores, production, making things. And at the, uh, at the phase in my career where somebody said, hey, this guy uh, is able to uh, merge companies in a good way and uh, uh, you know, get uh, things going, I was asked to uh, for this position, which was actually the merger of two lottery organizations, one the state-owned state lottery, and the other one was the other uh, company called Lotto, which included, by the way, all of the brands Toto, but also scratch tickets. Both oh, yeah. companies were in uh, major trouble. And I was asked five years ago to uh, join uh, and uh, merge the two companies and uh, prepare them for the future. And that's my job uh, today. It's an exciting job. A great team here. Business is doing very well. 600 million of our turnover is in retail. So uh, we you know, there's a lot of retail stores that set, that sell lottery tickets. 800 million is online, but we have also a particularity in Holland that we also have a subscription model for our lotteries. So people subscribe oh, yeah. to lotteries. And, uh, of course, that is uh, great. We have about 1.2 million subscribers. And uh, that gives a very solid base for our business. You are my second guest, actually, to tell me they come from fast-moving consumer goods. Um, huh. I had another guest that came from Unilever. Right. And I'll ask you, because I'm really curious, you said a little bit about it, but what does that experience, because for someone who is, I've had my entire career in betting and gambling, I can't even picture it transferring into fast-moving consumer goods. So tell me that experience, what you had, and what you yep. sort of brought to that, because I think that's really interesting. Training, and I, I can only refer, of course, to P&G, which is, you know, has been a great learning school for me. Uh, as I mentioned, I, I spend... Uh, Few years in Paris, running their health and beauty care division uh, over there. Uh, PNG is, is, of course, people say it's a it's a marketing company, but it's really it's 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 a technical company about products, superior products. So it's about you know great products. It's about understanding consumer needs and consumer habits, turning that into viable strategies, executing them with excellence, and that is really you know the boot camp you're in when you're at PNG, and that's what's being drilled into your brain. Not working from from only intuition, but from data, from facts, from consumer needs, consumer insights, turning those into compelling proposition for whatever product you are responsible for. And quite honestly, whether you are developing advertising or head and shoulders, which I did in the past, or developing advertising for our Toto campaign, uh, a compelling proposition for our sports betting business, there's not much difference. Well, and the other thing is, 
uh, I have to admit that marketing is, of course, a uh, profession where you have absolutely no need of any prior knowledge or particularly sk particular skills. So <laughs> it's also sometimes common sense. P&G is a huge market leader, but constantly being bombarded with new competition. Um, that seems to be a similar position that, that you're in at the moment. Yep. You also mentioned COVID having a big effect and moving a lot of your play or your revenue online. So you've got a team and you are leading this team. So talk to me a little bit about how you're leading with that constant bombardment, those new competitors coming in, the new laws changing, the screens going black. Like what kind of culture are you creating and what do you want them yep. to take away? Very good question. A couple of things. One is, um, uh, but that's more of a principal thing. It's only a job. Huh? So, uh, you know, it's important to, to be motivated, but it's only a job. So they're more important in things in life than work. It is a uh, quite a uh, intrusion on free time, I always say. So <laughs> better make it f a fun experience where people feel safe and feel happy to work. And if people ask me, hey, oh, how are things at the Dutch National Lottery? I always say it's probably pretty good because I hear a little laughter in the hallway. <laughs> so that is some kind of philosophy. Secondly, uh, I think there's also a point of having a shared sense of purpose. I think that's prevalent uh, today in society at large. In our case as well, because you know, ultimately we sell products that nobody needs, because you know, it's just we sell hope, uh, you know, or a dream, uh, and our transaction is not concrete. It's only uh, we're selling hope. So for the people to do that kind of work, it's for them, it's important, but that's specific to the Dutch National Lottery is that the fact is that all the money we make, we basically plow back into Dutch society, into sports, into, but also to the Ministry of Finance, and then obviously does good things with it for Dutch society. So that is helpful for us to kind of have a, this common sense of purpose in our company. The second one is I think we made a very conscious choice on we call our core values. Uh, and that is not you know, post-its on a wall, but we live them. We often take decisions which are not in the interest of uh, turnover or profit, but are in the interest of doing the right thing and living our core values. After the merger, 75% to date of our employees are less than three years on unemployment. So there's a huge change. We've transitioned the company from what I call intuitive marketing to much more technology-based, data-driven. With the opening of the online markets, Clearly, we needed a lot of talent, which was international talent. You know, we didn't have a lot of people who are, were experts on you know, online casinos or live casino or, or slot machines. We saw a huge internationalization in our company. So uh, people who've settled in from you know, places like Malta, Gibraltar, but also Las Vegas or maybe Eastern Europe, have settled in with their families and they, you know, they're you know, planning to stay for a while. So that's what we've done. You mentioned selling the dream, which I love, obviously, because um, I think for the most part, we do that. And I know that you've got some partnerships with, with the Dutch Olympic Committee and soccer. Do you have any sports heroes or do you have any heroes in general that you sort of um, look to when making big decisions or live by? We have a few ambassadors, which are basically on the payroll. Uh, in uh, we, we use commercially, but, but also managing our stakeholders. And there's a few of these people, uh, by the way, the, the, the guy who uh, is the uh, chef de mission of the Olympic uh, team, uh, guy who's the Olympic gold winner uh, swimming, Peter van der Hoogband, international, pretty famous. Um, uh, these are people who are very much an inspiration to us as well. And we have a number of those. Also, some of the people skating uh, actually uh, at this point in time in uh, Beijing. And we have a couple of uh, people here who are unbelievable who have 
gone through adversity and gone to win you know, Olympic medals at the Paralympics. Uh, so we have a number of those people and they are a great inspiration and often are here in the company as well, uh, talk to our people or do activities with our people. And we have a program here in the uh, Dutch National Lottery where we actually employ some of the ex-athletes who have you know, given all of their life to you know, their sport. Yeah. And then they're 35 and then, okay, what is next? So actually, we just hired an Olympic uh, medalist um, who was, she's an ex-sailor in the 470 class, Lopke Berka, and she works at our, our sponsoring department. So we, we, you yeah. know, we, we try to live also that, uh, that part of our mission. Do you have any role models outside of sports? Though there's some criticism to date, but the previous uh, CEO of Unilever is a guy I know, quite, I know quite well from the past, Paul Pullman, who also ex-P&G. And Paul Pullman has transitioned to, or is, was in the process of transitioning Unilever to much more a purpose-driven company where you know, a company is here to add value to society and not only to add value to the shareholder. So transitioning into a you know, much more sustainable modus operandi. I have mm. great admiration for him. Um, so you could call him a role model, but there are many, many more. What you see in Procter & Gamble and Unilever at the moment is they are really values-based and it comes across in their marketing. What impact are you hoping to leave on the industry at large when, when you leave the Dutch National Lottery? There's a number of challenges, particularly on the, in the online gaming market, of course. So one of the things which uh, I found is making the step from saying we are protecting consumers to actually making sure that it's really uh, seen in everything we do and actions we take. And I'll give you an example. Uh, there are some companies who believe that when uh, you know, in the online arena, a problem player is somebody who calls you that he, ha he or she has a problem. And then they have in their statement of purpose, we don't want to make any money on people, on problem players. Well, that is of course an easy way, but everybody understands that when you're a problem player, you're not gonna call. So have a uniform definition of what a problem player is for every uh, player in the market uh, in the Netherlands, so we can really address those problems. But also in the area, for instance, is when you know, our technology monitors playing behavior and we have an, an intervention model which is very active. But there's a lot of discussion around protection of what we call young adults, and I mentioned this uh, previously uh, to you, Kelly. Mm -hmm. But what happens if somebody is 92 and you know, plays 25,000 euros? Shouldn't we talk about that as well? If you think about deposits, you know, maybe every company has a deposit limit, but if somebody has six accounts, that's six times a day a person can deposit. Shouldn't we have some kind of blockchain technology where we link all that data into some kind of foundation where when somebody has deposited a certain amount at the Dutch National Lottery, that day he cannot deposit at another company because the, 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 the technology will prohibit it. Those are things which I would uh, really be proud of if I could have an impact. Um, and I think that uh, the industry itself should you know, proactively make that happen as opposed to wait until the regulator or the politicians, um, usually based, not, very, not often based on facts, make all kinds of decisions which are sometimes adverse or sometimes pretty, pretty silly. Or just totally unaware of how businesses run, sure. I think, as well. Yeah. So, yeah, that's... We know best how to run our businesses, so why not? NFTs in the metaverse seem to be um, very hot topics these days. Yep. So I wanted to give your thoughts on yep. their role when, when it comes to gambling. So right. 
have you considered NFTs as a part of what you're doing? Do you know anything about NFTs? <laughs> NFTs, I don't own any, so um, uh, <laughs> I'm old school. Uh, I, I, I've read about it and it's fascinating and I'm sure there's a segment to it. But I'm also an economist of the old uh, order, which is economies thrive also on people making stuff. And that is all uh, and adding value and just trading bytes and bits and making money is seems to be more of a pyramid game than an actual economic viable activity. But that might be somebody old school speaking. Uh, On metaverse, uh, well, we all understand what uh, Mark Zuckerberg uh, did when he renamed the company. Clearly, uh, from two-dimensional to three-dimensional, anything which has to do with uh, virtual reality. I do not envision myself a world where everybody is, you know, spending their lives with a a 3D goggles on uh, and uh, living their avatar in a dream. Um, I must say that I enjoy having a dinner with my children over a glass of wine and, uh, and talking real things in life. But again, just an opinion. I um I had dinner with someone recently who told me when I have quite young kids when they're older when they're old 20 when they're young adults it will be cool to have a farm and be off the grid sort of thing that will be the yeah. new sort of very new trendy thing and um, yeah. let's hope let's hope we go back to that type of thing but yeah. That is all the time that we have for today, Niels. Um, my sincere thanks for joining us. It was um really good fun and really insightful. Um, thank you for speaking with us. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you for inviting us and thank you for being a great host. This has been um, the next episode of SBC Leaders Podcast. I'm Kelly King, Global Relationship Director for SBC. And you can watch, download or subscribe on any of your favorite podcast channels. Thanks for watching. <laughs>